Hello, everyone. My name's Ariel. Yes, really. And this is the final reading episode of Fairy Tale. As you may have surmised from uh, last week's episode and from how things have been going, uh, we have, or Nick, Ian, Scott, and I have spoken, and we've elected that we are going to move on to different projects. Um, from here on out, it's going to be nothing but very funny episodes as we wrap up and catch up. Uh, we hope you enjoy them. And, uh, after that, we'll be taking a bit of a break until uh, probably late September, early October, and then you'll see us uh, bringing in another project podcast tentatively entitled Choices Trash, wherein we'll play through some American Otome games. Uh, that's the games where you, uh, they're like choices, stories you play, or episodes, or those kind of things. You've seen ads for them, I'm sure. Anyway. On with the episode. Today's story is The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood. There were formerly a king and queen who were so sorry that they had no children, so sorry that it cannot be expressed. They went to all the waters in the world, vows, pilgrimages, all ways were tried, and all to no purpose. At last, however, the queen had a daughter. There was a very fine christening, and the princess had for her godmothers all the fairies they could find in all the whole kingdom. They found seven, that every one of them might give her a gift, as was the custom of the fairies in those days. By this means, the princess had all the perfections imaginable. After the ceremonies of the christenings were over, and the company returned to the king's palace, they were prepared a great feast for the fairies. There was placed before every one of them a magnificent cover with a case of massive gold, wherein were a spoon, a knife, a fork, all of pure gold set with diamonds and rubies. But as they were sitting down at table, they saw come into the hall a very old fairy, whom they had not invited, because it was above fifty years since she had come out of a certain tower, and she was believed to be either dead or enchanted. The king ordered her a cover, but could not furnish her with a case of gold as the others, because they had only seven made for the seven fairies. The old fairy fancied she was slighted and muttered some threats between her teeth. One of the young fairies who sat by her overheard how she grumbled, and judging that she might give the little princess some unlucky gift, went, went as soon as they rose from the table and hid herself behind the hangings that she might speak last and repair as much as she could the evil which the old fairy might intend. In the meanwhile, all the fairies began to give their gifts to the princess. The youngest gave her for gift that she should be the most beautiful person in the world, the next that she should have the wit of an angel, the third that she should have a wonderful grace in everything she did, the fourth that she should dance perfectly well, the fifth that she should sing like a nightingale, the sixth that she should play all kinds of music to utmost perfection. The old fairy's turn was coming next, with a head shaking more with spite than age, she said that the princess should have her hand pierced with a spindle and die of the wound. This terrible gift made the whole company tremble, and everybody fell a-crying. At this very instant, the young fairy came out from behind the hangings and spake these words aloud. Assure yourselves, O king 
and queen, that your daughter shall not die of this disaster. It is true, I have no power to undo entirely what my elder has done. The princess shall indeed pierce her hand with the spindle, but instead of dying, she shall fall only into a profound sleep, which shall last a hundred years, at the expiration of which a king's son shall come and awake her. The king, to avoid the misfortune foretold by the old fairy, caused immediately proclamation to be made, whereby everybody was forbidden, on pain of death, to spin with the distaff and spindle, or to have so much as any spindle in their houses. About fifteen or sixteen years after, the king and queen gone to one of their houses of pleasure, the young princess happened one day to divert herself in running up and down the palace. When going up from one apartment to another, she came upon a little room at the top of the tower, where a good old woman alone was spinning with her spindle. This good woman had never heard of the king's proclamation against spindles. "'What are you doing there, Goody?' "'I'm spinning, my pretty child,' said the old woman, who did not know who she was. "'Ha!' said the princess. "'That is very pretty. How do you do it?' "'Give it to me, then I may see if I can do so.' She had no sooner taken it into her hand than, whether being very hasty at it, somewhat unhandy, or that the degree of the fairy had ordained it so, it ran into her hand, and she fell down in a swoon. The good old woman, not knowing very well what to do in this affair, cried out for help. People came in from every quarter in great numbers. They threw water upon the princess's face, unlaced her, struck her on the palms of her hands, and rubbed her temples with hungry water. But nothing would bring her to herself. Now the king, who came up at the noise, bethought himself of the production of the fairies, and judging very well that this must necessarily come to pass, since the fairies had said it, caused the princess to be carried into the finest apartment in his palace, and to be laid upon a bed, all embroidered with gold and with silver. One would have taken her for a little angel. She was so very beautiful, for her swooning away had not diminished one bit of her complexion. Her cheeks were carnation, and her lips were coral. Indeed, her eyes were shut, but she was heard to breathe softly, which satisfied those about her that she was not dead. The king commanded that they should not disturb her, but let her sleep quietly till her hour of awakening was come. The good fairy, who had saved her life by condemning her to sleep for a hundred years, was in the kingdom of Madakin, twelve thousand leagues off, when this accident befell the princess, but she was instantly informed of it by a little dwarf, who had the boots of seven leagues, that is, boots which he could tread over seven leagues of ground in one stride. The fairy came away immediately, and she arrived about an hour after, in a fiery chariot drawn by dragons. The king handed her out of the chariot, and she approved everything he had done. But as she had great foresight, she thought when the princess should awake she might not know what to do with herself, being all alone in this old palace. And this is what she did. She touched with her wand everything in the palace, except the king and queen. Governesses, maids of honor, ladies of the bedchamber, gentlemen, officers, stewards, cooks, undercooks, scullions, guards, and with her beefeaters, pages, and footmen. She likewise touched all the horses that were in the stables, paths as well as others, the great dogs in the outward court, and, and pretty little Mopsy too, the princess's little spaniel, which lay by her on the bed. Immediately upon her touching them, they all fell asleep, that they might not awake before their mistress, and that they might be ready to wait upon her when she wanted them. The very spits at the fire, as full as they could hold of partridges and pheasants, did fall asleep also. All this was done in a moment. Fairies are not long in doing their business. 
And now the king and queen, having kissed their dear child without waking her, went out of the palace and put forth a proclamation that nobody should dare to come near it. This, however, was not necessary, for in a quarter of an hour's time there grew up all around the park such a vast number of trees, great and small, bushes and brambles twining one within another that neither man nor beast could pass through, and that nothing could be seen but the very top of the towers of the palace, and that too not unless it was a good way off. Nobody, doubted but the fairy, gave herein a very extraordinary example of her art, that the princess, while she continued sleeping, might have nothing to fear from any curious people. When a hundred years were gone, and past the son of the king then reigning, and who was of another family from that of the sleeping princess, being gone a-hunting on that side of the country, asked, What those towers were, which he saw in the middle of a great thick wood? Everyone answered according as they had heard. Some said, that was a ruinous old castle haunted by spirits. Others, that all the sorcerers and witches of that country kept their Sabbath or night's meeting. The common opinion was that an ogre lived there, and that he carried thither all the little children he could catch, that he might eat them up at his leisure, without anybody being able to follow him, as having himself only the power to pass through the wood. The prince was at a stand, not knowing what to believe, when a very good countryman spake to him thus, May it please your royal highness. It is now about fifty years since I heard from your father, who heard from my grandfather say that there was in this castle a princess, the most beautiful that was ever seen, and that she must sleep there a hundred years and should be awakened by a king's son for whom she was reserved. The young prince was all on fire at these words, believing without weighing the matter that he could put an end to this rare adventure, and pushed on by love and honor, resolved at that moment to take to look into it. Scarce had he advanced toward the wood, when all the great trees, the bushes, and brambles gave way of themselves to let him pass through. He walked up to the castle, which he saw at the end of the large avenue, at which he went into, and what a little surprised him was that he saw none of his people could follow him, because the trees closed again as soon as he passed through them. However, he did not cease from continuing his way. A young and amorous prince is always valiant. He came into a spacious outward court, where everything he saw might have frozen the most fearless person with horror. There reigned over the most frightful silence, the image of death everywhere showed itself, and there was nothing to be seen but stretched up bodies of men and animals, all seeming to be dead. He, however, very well knew, by the ruby faces and pimpled noses of the beef-eaters, that they were only asleep, and their goblets, wherein still remained some drops of wine, showed plainly that they fell asleep in their cups. He then crossed a court paved with marble, went up the stairs, and came to the guard-chamber, where the guards were standing in their ranks, with their muskets upon their shoulders, and snoring as loudly as they could. After that he went through several rooms full of gentlemen and ladies, all asleep, some standing, others sitting. At last he came to a chamber all gilded with gold, where he saw upon a bed, the curtains of which were all open, the finest sight that was ever beheld. A princess, who was about fifteen or sixteen years of age, and whose bright and, in a manner, resplendent beauty had somewhat in it divine. He approached with trembling and admiration, and fell down before her upon his knees. And now, as the enchantment was at an end, the princess awakened, and looked on him with eyes more tender than the first few might seem to admit of. "'Is it you, my prince?' she said to him. "'You have waited a long while.' 
The prince, charmed with these words, and much more with the manner in which they were spoken, knew not how to show his joy and gratitude. He assured her that he loved her better than he did himself. The discourse was not well connected. They did weep more than talk. Little eloquence, a great deal of love. He was more at a loss than she, and we need not wonder at it. She had to, or she had time to think on what to say to him, for it was very probable, though history mentions nothing of it, that the good fairy, during so long a sleep, had given her very agreeable dreams. In short, they talked four hours together, and yet they said not half of what they had to say. At the meanwhile, all the palace awakened. Everyone thought upon their particular business, and as all of them were not in love, they were ready to die of hunger. The chief lady of honor, being as sharp set as other folks, grew very impatient and told the princess aloud that supper was served up. The prince helped the princess to rise. She was entirely dressed and very magnificently, but his royal highness took care not to tell her that she was dressed like his great-grandmother, and had a point band peeping over a high collar. She was not a bit less charming and beautiful for all that. They went into the great hall of looking-glasses, where they supped at, and were served by the princess's offers. The violins and haute boys played old tunes, but very excellent, though it was now above a hundred years since they had played. And after supper, without losing any time, the Lord Almoner married them in the chapel of the castle, and the chief lady of honor drew the curtains. They had but very little sleep. The princess had no occasion, and the prince left her next morning to return to the city where his father must needs have been in pain for him. The prince told him that he lost his way in the forest as he was hunting, that he had lain in the cottage of a charcoal burner who had given him cheese and brown bread. The king, his father, who was a good man, believed him, but his mother could not be persuaded it was true. And seeing that he went almost every day to a hunting, and that he always had some excuse ready for doing so, Though he had lain out three or four nights together, she began to suspect that he was married, for he lived with a princess above two whole years, and had by her two children, the eldest of which, who was a daughter, was named Warning, and the youngest, who was a son, they called Day, because he was a great deal handsomer and more beautiful than his sister. The queen spoke several times to her son, to inform herself after what manner he did pass the time that in this he ought in duty to satisfy her. But he never dared to trust her with his secret. He feared her, though he loved her, for she was of the race of the ogres, and the king would never have married her had it been not for her vast riches. It was even whispered about the court that she had an ogreish inclinations, and that whenever she saw little children passing by, she had all the difficulty in the world to avoid falling upon them, and so the prince would never tell her one word. But when the king was dead, which happened about two years afterward, and he saw himself lord and master, he openly declared his marriage, and he went in great ceremony to conduct his queen to the palace. They made a magnificent entry into the capital city, she riding between her two children. Soon the king went to make war with the emperor Contalibute, his neighbor. He left the government of the kingdom to the queen his mother, and earnestly recommended her to her care his wife and children. He obliged to continue his expedition all the summer, and as soon as he departed, the queen mother sent her daughter-in-law to a country among the woods, that she might with more ease gratify her horrible longing. Some few days afterward, she went thither herself and said to her clerks of the kitchen, I have a mind to eat little morning for my dinner tomorrow. Ah, madam, cried
cried the clerk at the kitchen. I will have it so, replied the queen. And this she spoke in the tone of an ogress, who had a strong desire to eat fresh meat, and will eat her with a sauce Robert. The poor man, knowing very well that he must not play tricks with the ogress, took a great knife and went into little morning's chamber. She was then four years old, and came to him, jumping and laughing, to take him about the neck and ask him for some sugar candy. Upon which she began to weep. The great knife fell out of his hand, and he went to the backyard and killed a little lamb, and dressed it with such good sauce that his mistress assured him that she had never eaten anything so good in her life. He had at the same time taken up little morning, and carried her to his wife to conceal her in the lodging he had at the bottom of the courtyard. About eight days afterward, the wicked queen said to the clerk of the kitchen, I will sup on little day. He answered not a word, being resolved to cheat her as he did before. He went out to find little day, and saw him with a little foil in his hand, with which he was fencing with a great monkey, the child being only three years of age. He took him up in his arms and carried him to his wife, that she might conceal him in a chamber along with his sister. In the room of little day, cooked up a young kid, very tender, which the ogres found to be wonderfully good. This was hitherto all mighty well, but one evening this wicked queen said to her clerk of the kitchen, I will eat the queen with the same sauce I had with her children. It was now the poor clerk of the kitchen despaired at being able to deceive her. The young queen had turned of twenty, not reckoning the hundred years she had been asleep, and how to find in the yard a beast so firm was what puzzled him. He took then a resolution that he might save his own life to cut the queen's throat, and going up to her chamber with the intent to do so, he put to himself as great fury as he could possibly, and came into the young queen's room with his dagger in hand. He would not, however, surprise her, but told her, with a great deal of respect, the orders he had received from the queen mother. "'Do it. Do it,' she said, stretching out her neck. "'Execute your orders.' And then I shall go and see my children, my poor children, who I so much and so tenderly loved, for she thought them dead ever since they had been taken away without her knowledge. No, no, madam, cried the poor clerk of the kitchen, all in tears. You shall not die, and yet you shall see your children again, but then you must go home with me to my lodgings where I have concealed them, and I shall deceive the queen once more by giving her in your stead a young hind. Upon this, he forthwith conducted her to his chamber, where, leaving her to embrace her children and cry with them, he went and dressed a young hind, which the queen had for her supper, and devoured it with the same appetite as if it had been the young queen. Exceedingly was she delighted with her cruelty, and she had invented a story to tell the king, at his return, how the mad wolves had eaten of the queen, his wife, and her two children. One evening, as she was, according to her custom, rambling round about the courts and yards of the palace to see if she could smell any fresh meat. She heard in the ground room little Day crying for his mamma, who was going to whip him because he had been naughty, and she heard at the same time little Morning begging pardon for her brother. The ogress presently knew the voice of the queen and her children, and being quite mad that she had been thus deceived, she commanded next morning by break of day with the most horrible voice that made everyone tremble that they should bring into the middle of the great court a large tub, which she caused to be filled with toads, vipers, snakes, and all sorts of serpents, in order to have thrown into it the queen and her children, and the clerk of the kitchen, his wife and maid, all of whom she had given orders, should be brought thither and have their hands tied behind them. 
They were brought out accordingly, and the executioners were just going to throw them into the tub when the king, who was not so soon expected, or entered the court on horseback, for he came post, and asked with the utmost astonishment what was the meaning of this horrible spectacle. No one dared to tell him, and the ogress, all enraged to see what had happened, threw herself head foremost into the tub and was instantly devoured by the ugly creature she had ordered to be thrown into for the others. The king could not but be very sorry, for she was his mother, but he soon comforted himself with his beautiful wife and his pretty children. Thank you everyone for listening and for joining in on this really fun journey with Fairy Tale with Ariel. We look forward to seeing you during the next couple of weeks. We still have several episodes of Fairy Funny left ahead of us. You can get in touch with us uh, via the link on the link tree or uh, find any of my social media at Chaos Lee Creations on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, TikTok. Thank you so much for listening. This is Ariel Swimming Off. Starting your own podcast can be intimidating, especially when it comes to figuring out how to best spread the word. When starting Fairy Tale, hands down, the most recommended site was Buzzsprout, and more than six months later, I certainly couldn't agree more. Working with Buzzsprout has allowed us to get published and track our audience on every major platform, from Apple Podcasts to Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Plus, you get a great look at all the analytics you could possibly want. Personally, I love looking at the world map to see where my listeners are. You also get audio players that you can embed into other websites in an easily personalized website. They also now offer easy ways to find sponsors and affiliate marketplace and display other methods that listeners can support your podcast at, like Patreon. Use the link in the show notes below to sign up for Buzzsprout today, and you'll also get a $20 Amazon gift card. We can't be together in person right now, but we can be together in the podsphere. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout today. survive or the king ordered her a cover but it or <clears throat> this terrible gift made the whole country temple and that they might be ready to wait upon her when she wait or when she wanted them the very and what a little surprise and what a little su- he approached with trembling admiration and fell down before her <clears throat> soon the king went to make war with the emperor or with the emperor Contalabute, Con- his neighbor, and she had invented a story to tell the queen. Er, sorry, Scott, weird wording. <laughs>